BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, ladies. Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'm Jack Fowler, the host, and we are recording on Sunday, the 24th of July. This particular episode should be up on the World Wide Webs on Thursday, the 28th. Victor Davis Hanson is the star of the show. That's why it's called the Victor Davis Hanson Show. And he is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow in History at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. Uh, Victor is a best-selling author, former classicist, military historian, essayist. Twice a week, he writes essays for American Greatness. You should check him out there. Writes a lot of original content for victorhanson.com, his website, and we'll talk about that a little later. Some of that original content, though, will be the subject matter for today's program. And one of those topics is water. And we're going to get to that right after these important messages. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shana's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show. Victor, my friend, hope you're doing well, speaking of wells, wells is where water, wells are where water comes from. As we've talked about before on this podcast, the issues facing California citizens, not only California citizens now, wet people out west, now here, here in the east, you turn on your faucet, water comes out. Nobody thinks of water as a commodity. Nobody thinks of it as an issue. They should spend a little time. Uh, west of the Continental Divide and and learn how precious water is, how political it is, and how it is a tool being used by progressives to punish people. So, Victor, you've written a... Um, sarcastic. Oh, I'm, oh, yes, I was sarcastic. <laughs> but It's a sarcastic just, article. So, yes, it's a sarcastic article. But, but I do want to recommend, before I mention that, that 
at the California Policy Center, which I mentioned before in the past, Ed Ring, who has done like a 16-part series on California and water. You should uh, check that out. So, Victor, you've written, yeah, a sarcastic piece, but let me just read two very quickly here. Uh, you have about, I don't know, six to ten, maybe 10, 10 aspects of this water, water, uh, not a drop anywhere. You Here's number three. In times of drought, rivers must, this is from the, the leftist mindset, rivers must run to the sea to preserve 19th century riparian landscapes and aquatic life and to replenish oxygen in the fragile waters of the bay and surrounding delta to save small fish. By the way, they're not native, those fish. Uh, the treated nitrogen-rich effluents of dozens of Bay Area liberal communities into the fragile bay have little to do with its declining oxygenation. That's number three. Number four, sarcastic. Agriculture is doomed in the West, and quite privately, it should be, given its reliance on unnatural water transfers, especially on California's West Side. Victor, um, you're undergoing a serious drought, even when you weren't having a drought. Uh, a short period there was an opportunity to uh, uh, help uh, address this issue. Nobody did nothing, as we say in the Bronx. Victor, tell us about why you wrote this piece. Well, you know, we have this drought, and I, I try to measure it both by data of annual rainfall and snowpack, and it's in its second year, but it's part of a five-year. We was interrupted by a very wet year, which is tragic because we had three years ago just enormous amounts of snow and rain, but we were not ready or we were not willing to capture that water bounty in, in reservoirs and underground storage, so we lost it. But it's very strange. I'd just like to preface, it's it's sort of like if a meteor is coming to the United States and it's headed here, and you don't want to send an atomic rocket to blow it up because you think that's short term, but you want to discuss the galaxy in general. And that's sort of what people do. Well, it's climate change. It's climate change. So even though the United States and Europe contribute I don't know, about 2% of carbon fuels to the world, we've got to worry about that and it's inevitable. So we're not going to do the short-term things that would alleviate the drought. That's the attitude. And so it's used to promote this climate change. And what that means is that we haven't built a reservoir since the new Malona's Dam for water storage in the mountains. And that was when we had about 21 million people. We have 41 million now. So 20 million extra mouths or cars or showers, whatever you want to term it, are drawing their straws in this, this finite storage capacity. And that was by design. It was but by design. It was considered unnatural. And then we compounded the fact that we started this riparian idea that, well, I read about John Muir and he hiked down the San Joaquin River. Or I've read about early explorers in, in the Sacramento. They were beautiful places. They looked out on the bank and there was salmon jumping up on their way to the Sierra. We can still do that. The reservoirs might be better served rather than their original intent of hydroelectric power or flood control or recreation or agriculture, agricultural irrigation story. Why not let that just use it to modulate the river at full capacity so you could store it 
And guess what? Our two main rivers in California would have better year-round water capacity out to the Delta than they ever did in the 19th century. So at $50,000 a salmon, we can do that. And we might have to cut off uh, 95% of the deliveries to agriculture, and we might have to modulate our power generation, but that's worried. And then, you know, as far as forest fires go, Jack, they're kind of a natural thing. And so when we had the drought and the beetles took over and we lost 30 million trees, and remember this, and especially in the case of Douglas fir, these species of trees were very valuable, but we drove out the timber industry. So we'll just let them kind of, you know, break apart. Maybe they'll fall down on a couple of things, but who cares? They're going to be a natural mulch for bugs and birds. So we'll leave them there. And if they have a little fire now and then, that's what nature did before we got here. And if it threatens people who live up in the mountains and cabin, they have no business in such fragile landscapes. Now, we on the coast, where there's no aquifer and we get about 15 inches of rain, we have to have long distance water transference. But those people up in the Sierra, those hillbilly people, they are in a natural place. And so... We didn't thin out the forest. We didn't. We ignored all the classical rules of forestry that took so long to develop. And then we're going to adjudicate where people live and where they should not live and where they should farm. But it's going to be based on one sacred principle, the La Jolla-Berkeley coastal strip next to the ocean that can't support naturally 20 million people it will have water transference from Hetch Hetchy, from Hoover Dam, and from the California Aqueduct. And that's non-negotiable. If with shorts agriculture, we have no business farming. We can import our food from, you know, India or South America or Mexico. And, you know, the next thing is everybody, then they go around and they say, wow, there's too many freelancers. There's all these guys that would have their own wells. And they've got these 19th century retreats into uh, mineral right law. And it says that the minerals under your property belong to you. So while, yes, they spend 50, 60, 80,000 and up drilling a well and putting a pressure system in, that water's got to be metered because it's our water. And we don't want some guy with a, you know, out in the country outside Modesto with a quarter acre lawn so we're going to go after him and that's that's coming up excuse me victor that metering has that ever happened anywhere as far as you know yeah i think it has happened in some places around the world and especially europe and uh when you get these wet years as remember we've had years that were so wet and i think december of last year was a record almost and it, most of that snow melted by, we didn't really capture it all, but the snow melt. But when you have those wet years, they never nullify the climate change thesis. So remember, global warming as a term no longer exists. There's two terms, climate change and climate chaos. And what that means is it's too dry, it's climate change. If it's too wet, it's climate change. If it's too too many tornadoes, too many earthquakes. Remember the guy who said earthquake? Do you think he was in the Congress? I don't think it was Hank Johnson. It was somebody else who said that earthquakes were climate change. 
But whatever the oh, John, climatic, Johnson said, that the island flipped over. Yeah, that was he his, said if yeah. everybody went to the edge of Guam, he was worried that it would flip on top of them. And that was right. famous because of the startled look at the military officer asked to answer. He looked like he'd seen. I don't know what he thought he was. Yeah, okay. Islands flip over when they go. People go to one edge, right? So anyway, that's the attitude of California, and the result is that if you drive out on the west side along I-5, you see almonds coming in. Okay, the price has plummeted to 150 And by the way, listeners, the idea that almonds are stealing water from other crops, it's about three acre feet uh, per year to grow almonds, about what canning tomatoes or grapes or cotton is. The reason that we focus on almonds is that these west side farmers who traditionally had row cropped and when water supplies were cut off, they let their fields follow. What happened was they planted almonds that for a period from oh, 2005 to 2017 or something. They were phenomenally profitable when we had, you know, three, four, five 500,000, not the current 1.3 million acres. And the price was up to four, 450 a pound. Some of these guys got, you know, that's wonderful soil out there. They got, I don't know. 12,000 bucks an acre gross and maybe three or four. They were netting 8,000 bucks in it and they were making a lot of money. And everybody said, wow, these corporate people are making a lot of money on all this water. And they didn't say it because about tomatoes or cotton because they weren't making a lot of money. So they started to transition to permanent crops. And then when they started to cut the water, the farmer said, wait a minute, I can't just tear down these almonds and plant tomatoes or cotton or dry farm wheat. I have an investment of 20,000 an acre and permanent infrastructure, the trees. And so then they started uh, thinking that they could find another aquifer. But of course, there was one and it wasn't just the exhausted one at 500 feet. It's about 1,200 feet. And my the aquifer where I'm speaking today, you know, it's dropped precipitously from 50 feet, but it's still about, you know, 90 to 110 feet here. So my point is that when you go down 1,500 feet, you need a 200 horsepower electric turbine pump and you need casing going down, you know, perforated casing. And it's about a million and a half dollars a well. And then you're only going to get 200 gallons a minute as you gobble up electricity. But that would keep these orchards alive. And the left looked at that and they said, wow. Greedy farmers, now they're farming money losing almonds, tear them all out and divert the water from the San Luis River Reservoir um, way station, so to speak, of the, on the aqueduct and let it go to where it belongs. And that is San Jose and Oakland and San Francisco and San Luis Obispo and Santa Barbara, and then pump it over to Los Angeles. And that's where we're headed. I think we're headed to a point where in my lifetime, I grew up where there was no West Side farming. That started with the San Luis Project, I think, in 1962, B.F. Sisk and JFK, et cetera, and Jerry Brown's dad, Edmund Brown, did a great job. But I think that land will go out of, uh, uh, it already is starting to go out of production. And it's not just, you're going to drive, you know, down Manning Avenue or 180 across the West Side in Shields or whatever and see fallow land. That's not what happens out there, it's windy and it's hot. You're going to see Sahara-like conditions. And when I was growing up, the West Side was a place where there were 
wild coyotes and valley fever blew across in the fall and it was a desolate place and i think we're going to get back there crazy just absolutely crazy it is it's I mean, reverse civilization in reverse again it's it's a to me fascinated from afar this is the prime example of how progressives hate people they'd rather them not have the means to drink not have the means to produce food to feed the world feed america and the world it is really uh almost satanic it seems uh, it is it is and of course it's asymmetrical i like that word with the left because they don't ever say let's cut off the california aqueduct it's unnatural to suck all of that water out of the klamath or the feather river and bring it all the way down to you know palo alto or silicon valley it just doesn't make sense we're living in an unsustainable right. fragile landscape our aquifer only supplies 15 percent of our needs and hetch hetchy my gosh we destroyed something that john muir said was more beautiful than the yosemite valley to give us water so we're going to do our part i think they are doing their part i think they are trying to what depopulate san francisco with all the empty stores and everything so right. maybe they're all going to move out of san francisco yeah some big piece about that it's about 24 percent of uh what did i see 24 percent of stores are just shut now in in san francisco I and mean, we've talked about it before i think the last time i was in the city walking around the city maybe it was with you five or six years ago gosh almighty what what's what's happened to a yeah, once beautiful just, city it's, it's, it's um hey but Victor, think, they got, well go, they, go they got rid of they got rid of their da um and if i can shift a little south but i'm springing this on you i just i just read right before the we started recording that gas gone the recall effort in los angeles where they need uh like almost you know about five hundred sixty-six thousand signatures mm -hmm. uh 700 16,000 signatures were, were submitted. It's very so, funny, isn't it? The re a guy's sheriff and he lets criminals out or he doesn't arrest them or if they're arrested, he doesn't indict them or if he indicts them, he doesn't really prosecute them. If he convicts them, they're out. But they get so angry, they recall him. So he skedaddles down to LA and reinvents himself, repeats the exact horror and then they wise up finally and recall him. And meanwhile, his buddy, Mr. Boudin, takes over and learning that they didn't want Gascon, he then emulates exactly the same, the same policies, thinking that he's, I guess, different. And then they recall him. To paraphrase Shakespeare, San Francisco, the problem is not in the stars, it's in, within you. Yeah. you. You vote for these people and they destroy civilization. There's nothing in history that suggests civilization is linear there's nothing that suggests that that beautiful city that you see maybe when you watch vertigo and you see people properly dressed and streets are clean and everybody's happy and there's a rule of law in those scenes and movies of san francisco there's no reason to believe that that's going to always not only stay the same but get better get better Victor, the runner, the runner-up for the 1968 Olympics, uh, this, which was were held in Mexico City, the runner-up was Detroit, <laughs> and, and can you imagine that? So 1960, Detroit is in 
you know, Detroit such, was uh, in yeah. 1945. Detroit had the fastest population growth, best GDP, and was considered an artistic and musical powerhouse. And today, if I, I've said this before, that if you were in 1945 and you looked at Hiroshima and you looked at Detroit, and then you came back in your spaceship and looked at 2000, I don't know, 15 at Detroit and at Hiroshima, you would say, hmm, there were two atomic bombs dropped. One was in 1945 in Hiroshima and one was in 19, uh, 2015 in Detroit. It looks like Hiroshima did then and Hiroshima looks like Detroit did then. That's sad. It's all self-created. So it shows you, Jack, that people people can create something more disastrous than an atomic bomb. Right. Policy is just as lethal. Yeah. Hey, Victor, the piece about water was an ultra piece for your website. And I'll, I'll get the little plug in right now uh, to our listeners who are not yet subscribed to victorhanson.com. Do so because that piece and the next piece we're going to use as a topic for discussion, they're the kind of things that are there every week. It's a, there's a lot of exclusive content there. Uh, it's $5 a month. Uh, well, $5 initiation, you know, go in, pay the five bucks, go feel the essence and, and the glory of the great website. And you're going to like what you see. And the subscription is $50 a year. It's, it's well worth it. So um, that's the plug. Now, the the other ultra piece that is a, we're going to use as a topic here has to do with Victor's COVID afterthought. And we are going to discuss that right after these important messages. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show. Victor, um, I, you're on week, as we're recording today, it's probably week 10 of your prolonged struggle with your ah, second I wish it was. COVID. It's today is a Sunday. It's exactly 90 days on a Sunday oh my that I woke up on a Sunday morning. I worked very hard. I chainsawed. I was helping me fix this house problem. And about 
eight in the after uh, eight in the evening i started again hmm, tickle in my throat hmm, body aches and i woke up with a raging fever six days covid got up said okay i beat delta i've been vaccinated just like dr fauci said i've got antibodies so it will go away like delta did and i'm gonna go back to work as soon as i test negative i tested negative after five or six days i got on a plane three days later i went all i saw you in delaware i went to the brow i went all over the east coast i came home wiped out thinking hmm things are supposed to get better not worse but it's in your head come on just shake it off i gotta go to israel i had a couple of days i said you know i'll rest and it'll be over with i flew to israel long flight 105 people for 16 days pre you know tour and all that stuff came back hmm i can't sleep i have neuropathy i feel like i have the flu i have brain fog i can't hear i can't taste i can't smell this is weird but it's only a month so it's not long COVID. so i'll go and do some did some more traveling speaking and then i hit a wall about six weeks and i said you know what this is some kind of Chinese engineered virus. It can't, it's destroying my immune shutoff. So it became an autoimmune. I've had a little bit of something like it before, but with another infection and just muscle aches, neuropathy, hearing, just weird things. And the thing that what's really bad about it, it does something to your brain, makes you anxious, like I'm talking now obsessive compulsive about it because it doesn't end and then more importantly uh you try to say to yourself i tell you i feel a little bit better today so i'm going to go lift some weights i'm going to go exercise i'm going to go write for 10 hours and, and then and my brain if anything says that since it's not working you're going to say don't panic it's just your brain doing that and then right. you, you go do it I drove Friday almost five and a half hours, about 300 miles plus. And I thought, I'm, see, I'm well, I did it. I didn't get lost. And then what happens is the next day you crash. I mean, right. you go back to square one and then you say, okay, I'm in square one, but I'm going to try it again. And you never, you never just say, I'm just going to lay there. Because if you lay there, you look at your arms and legs and you start losing muscle mass at about 5% a day. And you, you look just awful and you feel awful. Yeah. So my attitude is I'm going to try within reasonable limits to keep responsibilities and commitments and try to ignore it. But I have no confidence anymore that it's going to go away because it's something that has an ability as I read the literature, the spike protein or remnants or, or remains of it that are not large enough or not active enough to indicate a positive uh, COVID test. I haven't tested positive since May 5th or 6th. I've right. been negative ever since. No fever, no, no cough, nothing. It's completely different. And that, I guess these, these remains for some people's inferior uh, immune system like mine, it just activates it and it makes it, you know, it's very strange. I hope if people are listening, this might be of some value to, to their experiences of people they know have it or they have it. Is that you can eat Jack more than you usually do and you'll lose weight. I think it's because your immune system or you don't sleep insomnia, you only sleep a few hours, if any, some nights, 
but you wake up and you think i'm gonna have a huge steak salad rice mm -hmm. maybe some and then you feel gorged and then you wake up the next morning after rest you know and you and you've lost two pounds wow it's it's the strangest thing i at one point i think i lost almost 30 pounds and i had lost some before that so right. i think now i'm trying to actually for the first time since i was in wrestling in high school i'm trying to gain weight i do want to obviously to hear you talk about this piece you've written but if it's not too personal uh it's two in because you just you, you you're, you've got insomnia so it's two in the morning and you're wide awake uh wishing you weren't but uh what do you do in the middle of the night uh do you just try to hope you can catch the brass ring and get, get to do. sleep you do and you you start to you know you do all the things that people tell you they call it you know the the culture of sleep you have make sure it's dark you try not to use an electric device iphone or computer two or three hours before you try not to have water so you have to get and go to the bathroom right before you start with the natural if you can't sleep you take i take theanine uh and magnesium threonate and serine or something like that and then if that doesn't work you take these little natural mixtures of tryptophan and 5-htp and melatonin and that usually doesn't work and then you say ah, i have the last resort I'll go to the big artillery. Maybe it's an Ativan or a Valume just to make you, and that doesn't work. And then I try not to take the sleeping pills, Ambien or anything. Sometimes I try to do, during the day, I'll put a mask over my head and listen to some kind of ho hokey little, I shouldn't say that, because uh, they're, they're good. And sometimes I'll get an hour of sleep. I plan to do that right after. I didn't sleep last night, so I'm planning to do that right after this. I've been very fortunate, though, you know, um, because here I am out on this farm, but I work at Stanford, so I have a wonderful ophthalmologist, Dr. Judith Nevitt, and she has really, I have a problem with high eye pressure, which has been exacerbated for some reason, and she knows a lot, so she's given me a lot of advice, and then I also teach at Hillsdale. And there's just a wonderful doctor who's a, a supporter of Hillsdale, Dr. Samuel Pappas. And he's very scientific. He reads and he's proactive and and he he talks to me or emails and gives advice. He's not, you know, he's not saying take this drug. He does the gamut of integrative to traditional medicine. And so before I was kind of a quack to tell you the truth, Jack, I just took stuff, you know, I took amino acids, I took quercetin, I took luteolin, I took pine bark, I took uh, vitamin D, selenium, maybe 10 or 15 probiotic, all of these things to get back at the cellular level. And then he mildly and kindly suggested that there, this avenue might be more effective than that avenue. So I've been, I re relied on his advice. And I get a lot of people, believe it or not, I get people who write me and they've had long COVID and they send me scientific one thing i don't do is i don't read the uh not because i disagree with them uh, i don't read the social media stuff about it chat list because i i don't have time but i read the scientific peer-reviewed papers 
right? And uh, they're very interesting. There seems to be a big, and I wrote about this in one of the COVID pieces that is the, are there viral remnants that are inside in the immune system? Are there certain people who have hypersensitive immune system? It seems like a lot of people that get long COVID, long COVID are not your obese, diabetic, older person that has compromised immune system, but hyperactive. That is, they have hyper allergies, or in my case, mastocytosis, or, or some people that are triathletes, young weightlifters, and they they overreact to it because of an of either a very young, strong uh, immune system, or in my case, kind of an older person that's always been too sensitive uh, the right. not that I'm a sensitive person, but my immune system is very sensitive. I apparently so that that was interesting. Or is it is it just the stuff hides? It's not particles, and it's not your in your immune system. This stuff is still around, maybe not enough, to, and it's in your gut or your brain, right. and it's just telling your immune system, "Aha, can't get me. Try to get right. me." And then right. the, the only hopeful thing is that I think in a matter either i i hit the official long covid today 90 days so i guess i have long covid but the point is Sorry, that my friend. the point is that at some point i i used that metaphor before it's like a locomotive your immune system it jumps the tracks and it's going at full speed with its wheels but it's spinning in the sand and something can push that back on the tracks and then you get a homeostasis and the immune system will calm down and what that is people are arguing about and they're trying to investigate. For some, it's take antivirals or monoclonal antibodies and just wipe out everything that's left of that infernal virus. And then once that's right. happened, the immune system says, there's nothing for me to hunt down anymore. I'll go back and be a nice immune system. Or it's feed the mitro mitochondria and at the cellular level. So if that immune system is robbing you of the essential proteins and nutrients that allow you to function and, and the result is horrific muscle pains. It's like lactic acid in your muscles. If you swim or you lift something or you walk too much, you get burning muscles. Then maybe so find nutrients or supplements that would feed that, that mitochondria so that it doesn't get depleted. And it says to the immune system, you can steal everything that you want, but I'm still functioning. So there's no need to do it anymore. And then it gets back. So there's all these strategies, meditation, electrical stimulation. They all have some scientific uh, inquiry. And I think I kind of bug Dr. Pappas or Dr. Nevitt or people like that who I ask them questions that are pretty esoteric. They're very learned and they're very uh, helpful. And right. so I'm trying to learn about it, not just because of me, but I want to find out about the phenomenon and what it says about how it was, I think it was engineered. I think Stephen Quay in that Wall Street Journal right. uh, op-ed pretty much definitively did it. He, I've heard him give a lecture on it, and I'm going to try to have him on our podcast uh, next week. And I yeah, think, I think by the time this podcast airs, that podcast will have. Yeah, I think know. it'll be. I think he, his logic is definitive. It really yeah. is. And uh, it, it shows you that this virus is capable of immune disruptions and mutability and infectiousness and morbidity for particular types of people in a way that just doesn't happen in nature like that. Yeah. 
So, Victor, I thought I saw Fauci say maybe where he was so adamant, of course, to protect himself, I think, legally from what he did funding Chinese gain of function research. But maybe you left a little room open that, yeah, maybe this could have been uh, engineered as opposed to being a natural virus. Did, did I, I, I think he did. Uh, I saw that interview that he did with Brett Baer that got very heated. He really pushed back at Brett Baer and Brett Baer had really, I was surprised at Preston. The problem Fauci has is that of those redacted emails at the very outbreak, there was a worry among the virology community that A, the National Institute of Allergies and Infectious Diseases, along with Mr. Dr. Collins at the CDC and the NIA, they all were very much wanting to continue with gain-of-function research, maybe for noble purposes to create better vaccines. But when that was outlawed, they began to fund Peter Daszak's Echo Health and other indirect routes that would be things like mice that needed human-engineered lungs to experiment on. And that that technology or that know-how was probably beyond the range of the Chinese, and that expertise was somehow given to them. And so we were funneling to bat lady or whatever you want to call her to continue a type of research that was a indirectly controlled by the chinese military at this level four in a lab that had a history of sloppy uh, safety procedures and three a mechanism to avoid u.s law and then when that was exposed lancet medical journal under Peter Daszak's suggestion ran an investigation in which he picked the people. They went to China. They didn't get full cooperation. Then they announced it a natural, a natural phenomenon, even though the, the, the number of miles between the potential bat and the lab were, were just fantastic. It, would, it wouldn't have been easy. And then there was no animal that had ever had this virus until a human had had it. And there were animals within the lab that they were experimenting on. And we even know a couple of people who apparently were infected and went out accidentally. And the question is, what were they doing? So why were they taking such risks with such a poor safety record in China? And were they trying to really, was the Chinese military a humanitarian effort and said, you know, we had SARS-1 and we had this uh, Middle Eastern version of a coronavirus and we were just trying to help humanity. And we were the only country that really thought that uh, to gain a function was legitimate. Or were they working on some kind of bioweapon? And that- yeah, by the way, Victor, we can't say that America, the American medical community, Fauci and others, did not know of the sloppy ways of... No, they knew. No, no, no. They knew. They, they, that's demonstrable. And what they are saying is that this was not gain of function. And I don't think that's viable. That was that exchange with, with Rand Paul. And I think Rand Paul this week is going to have hearings. Dr. Fauci knows. You can see it in his face. You can see it in his answers. And I would just like to say that, you know, it's pretty clear, I think, that I don't want to be definitive. I'm not a scientist, but it was one reach whether it's popular literature like Nicholas Wade or some of these reports by dissident investigators by Dr. Quay, 
when you read it, you get the impression that there is slowly coalescing a scientific consensus in here in Europe and Japan that this was a gain-of-function virus whose right. purposes we don't know, but we should have known given the, the dangerous environment in which it was being conducted. And I think the majority, I can say two things about the consensus. The majority consensus suggests that it was accidentally released due to sloppy procedures. It wasn't deliberately released. But there is a also a, another minority consensus that feels that perhaps we're going to learn that this was not for vaccination purposes, but maybe a bioweapon project that at some right. point in its early development, it escaped by accident. And that might be one of the reasons the Chinese have right. reacted well, I, I, with such draconian ways because they right. know the potential for social disruption far more than we do. But, but the accident doesn't preclude a possible intentional release at some other point if, the, if this thing is being developed, was being developed for nefarious reasons. So The thing there is, and the traditional counter-argument to that is, well... They wouldn't have intentionally released it because they didn't have a vaccine, so it would be in their backyard first. And the answer that some people have suggested is, oh, yes, but they were developing um, a bioweapon and they had mechanisms further down the road that would either control the nature of its infectiousness or they would have a vaccine. But during this process, it, it was aborted because it jumped. And I don't know the answer to that. I'm not a scientist. I'm not dispensing medical. Right. But I would say that and I think this is the most important thing. Uh, and I mentioned it a little bit in that article that if we all just take a deep breath and think of all the people that we know who have died from this, or all the people who have been locked in their homes and gone crazy, or the people who have had long COVID, or the people who have recovered and they don't have long COVID, but they have tingling fingers, or they, they don't taste right. All of the disruptions, and you start to think about it, what the Chinese did. It, if you just enumerate them, it destroyed a presidency. Whether you like Trump or not doesn't matter. A foreign pathogen destroyed that presidency. If it had not happened, I think even Democrats would have agreed that he would have been reelected. It blew up. And as I said that in the article, it blew up in a booming economy. We had a great economy. You know, and we want to know what happened after George Floyd, the 120 days of riot or the January. I think it created a national hysteria. That right. people walking around with masks, kids with no social, no outlets to go to school, no social interaction, people dependent, paranoid. It created a level of anxiety and apprehension that it was like gasoline and the George Floyd or the election set it off. It's ruined. I can speak as a grandfather of a special needs child who was deprived of critical schooling, it has destroyed the lives of a lot of kids. Right. And I don't know to what degree they're going to be able to, to make up for that two-year hiatus. And we've had substance abuse. Uh, Scott Atlas has been very, I mean, he's been vindicated, but he's not just, you know, bragging on his uh, vindication. He's been really at work and showing that in terms of 
suicide rates and spousal abuse and all of these uh, missed doctors' appointments and surgeries and cancer and heart. It's been devastating. Almost the toll will probably be more than the actual plague. Which which he was trying to which bring to bear to in the White House, and he was opposed by Anthony Fauci on this. And right? Dr. Burks. Right. I read it. I've known Scott Atlas for, I don't know, 15 years. And what happened to him was the greatest miscarriage of justice and character defamation that I've ever witnessed. When he said repeatedly, repeatedly, if you have a shotgun approach and you shut down all the schools and you put everything person in an indeterminate quarantine, you're gonna do two things. Number one, and most importantly, you're gonna rob the nation of the of the resources to concentrate and focus on rest homes and older people. And this first wave, that's who's dying. They need to be masked, they need to be quarantined. They'd make sure that uh, workers who around them are tested. That's what he said. And then he said, if you do this, we're going to have an enormous toll on adults that are going to that are going to get cancer and heart attacks and alcoholism and so that we and then the children are going to and he he said that and then he said another thing that he supported vaccinations he supported boosters but he did say that this is a mutable strange virus and you cannot count on vaccine that was when Joe Biden came in and he said we're going to all get vaccinated and it's going to be the end of it and he was yelling and screaming about the need for therapeutics. From the very beginning, we ignored that. Doctors who had therapies, and I, and they may have been controversial, but they were some success, and they were all ridiculed. And he was so he was he was right. And what did we do to him? We we destroyed his career. We we assassinated his character. And I know someone who wrote some op eds in support of him. I got really severely criticized. And it was just a it was just a national madness. The Stanford Medical School, the Stanford faculty, they went after him as if he was some, and yet he was trying to help them. That was what was strange about it. He was trying to help them. But you know, besides all that, Jack, there were other things. I mean, we went from what 26 million early or mail-in balloting. We've never that was, I think, the I don't know what it was. It was 30% or something, we went up to 102 mail-in ballots that were early or early that were not cast on election day. And the error rate plummeted mysteriously from the state's average of about 5% to 0. 0.3 to 0.6%. And so what I'm getting at is it altered the way that whether you, whatever you think about the election, the change in voting laws in March and April and May that had drop boxes and uh, third party voting and all of this stuff uh, and not checking a name versus the registered name or an incomplete name or all of that under the guise of COVID really changed the way that Americans voted. We have never had 62 to 64% of ballots not cast on election day. That second debate, whatever you think about it, it didn't matter. Right. 50 to 60 million people had already voted. So that was something that we don't talk about. Right. We don't talk about the millions of people who are disabled right now. And so we're talking about the labor force. Well, why can't we get labor? Well, we subsidize labor participation. Non-participation. Yes, we did. And yes, we're coming into a 
period where we had enormous demand and funny money, so there weren't enough workers to create the supplies for the yes. And there's a lot of people who there still are, I know a lot of them that don't go out, Jack. They're convinced that they're going to get COVID. And whereas before they thought they were going to die and they didn't want to get it, now they're afraid they're going to get long COVID because it's right. now in the news and they don't want to get it. They'll say, well, I know that I won't, I can beat it in four days. But according to this Anthony Fauci himself, people who get long COVID are not predicated on whether they were in the hospital or not. Anybody can get it. Right. So they're, they're, when I'm, and then there's the long COVID people. And I, I just said, since I've they're been long, out right. here, yeah. I've had maybe people working here, three or four people who have either had COVID or they months later, they're still dragging and they unfortunately have to use their hands and muscles and right. they're tired. And, uh, and so it's funny, I was talking to one of them a couple of months ago, and I said, I couldn't do what you're doing if I had I had just gotten this first month. And he said, well, I'm just tired, but I don't know. I couldn't think. I couldn't. How do you, you know, he was having problems with the electricity paradigms. And I was thinking, and he said to me, well, how do you, how do you do your job? Because your brain is fried. And I think so that's something that's underestimated. And then right. we don't even know what the side effects of these vaccinations are. You know, we've had young men with my, myocarditis. We've had women, especially in some of the, the RNA vaccines that have had cysts that have been mistaken for, mm. for tumors. And, and mammograms have been, you know, they, they can report false positive ovarian cysts, menstrual disruptions have all sorts of problems with these yes. vaccinations. We've, we've crippled them. We're talking about crippled the military. We're kicking people out of the military that haven't been vaccinated, but they may have had COVID one, two, three times with antibodies. Right. And we're not sure that the boosters offer any superior protection. Did, we, did, we it, really did, see it, it. did it for Uncle Joe? Uh, That's a good Biden. point, Jock, because we have Fauci and Biden who are... And they're almost shameless in the sense that they keep yelling, you got to get vaccinated, you got to get double boosted, you got to lose use Paxavoid. Well, they did all that and they got infected. Fauci took Paxavoid and then he relapsed. We don't know how he feels. We don't know how Biden feels, but it's kind of disturbing when they're telling us almost in childlike terms that he cleaned up his plate as if that's an oh advance. I mean, if somebody said, hey, Victor, how are you doing with your long COVID? And I said, I cleaned my plate. Oh, my gosh. I think you're wearing a bib in mommy's feet. Yeah. And uh, it really, so it really destroyed. And then we're not even talking about the mothers out there with allergic children and they're desperately driving 100 miles to find formula or women that can't get tampons or electricians that can't get wire and, uh, Guess what? Yeah. It gave us COVID. The Chinese gift gave us Joe Biden, which I think is arguably the worst president since uh, James Buchanan. Yeah, maybe even at, before. Yeah, yeah he's the, the worst ever. Yeah. And that well, was all from this take away that COVID and, or just do this, Jack. Just say COVID would have been like H1N1 flu mm-hmm. or it would have been like SARS 1. This was different. I think everybody should realize that. I'm not somebody who goes, well, there was a Spanish flu. Yes. And it was it was more virulent. But we're not over this thing yet. And I think in the fall, we're going to get more and more iterations of it. 
And I don't know how they're going to make a vaccine that is safe uh, in time. And uh, I think we're going to live with the idea that we're all we all have a rendezvous with COVID. We do. And we have a rendezvous with if we get over it in a week or two, we're going to have some after effects. And there's going to be 10 percent of us that either have allergies or that we stress our immune system through athletics or young, robust people or we're type A personalities. I've heard that. Or they have uh, upregulated immune system, autoimmune diseases, and they are going to get a bad case of long COVID. Right. We're going to have a significant part of the population with diminished capacity. And you yourself, you could get COVID again, too, right, Victor? Or a new strain of of whatever's out there. I don't want to say wrap this up because an important part of this COVID piece you wrote is about the Chinese. Let me just read this very quickly. You wrote, the Chinese are responsible for millions of deaths worldwide. In essence, they have waged war on humankind and unleashed a weapon thousands of times more deadly than a nuclear bomb. I said nuclear. (laughs) I'll get to that later. But to what degree and why are they exempt from the consequences? Do they own politicians, fund university research in the West, contribute to medical journals, threaten media and the universities that promulgate skepticism of the crackpot pangolin or bat theory? So, Victor, you know, uh, not only related to, to COVID, but kind of in general, China, which uh, we talked before about, you know, well, why would they have invented, some people say, why would they have invented this uh, virus if they didn't have the uh, antidote, antidote already? Well, you know, they, they, they slaughtered tens of millions of their own citizens or they starved them to death. And this is the, the legacy of this, of China, of communist China has been one a very limited criticism over the decades relative to even, you know, the poor thing for the, you know, the Soviets was they had Stalin, right? A bad guy. Of course, none of them got any criticism relative to what, you know, Nazi Germany did, but China seeming seems to have gotten a free pass from criticism for decades. So I don't really think it's any surprise. Well, it's a good point because let's just look at two aggressive acts, whether intentional or not, and I know that's kind of a contradiction with the word aggressive and intentional, but we have Ukraine and Russia went in there and the world is rightly shocked and it's doing all it's, it, it can, right? But China's Wuhan level four lab did so much more damage than Russia will ever do to the world. And yet, there's silence. In fact, if you criticize them, you're a racist. I can say that I wrote an early article based on secondary sources. It wasn't my idea. I'm not a researcher, but I suggested there was a good chance that this thing was engineered. And I got attacked in, I think it was Slate. I got attacked by the Stanford alumni. People wrote to the Stanford Alumni Association. I got attacked by faculty some radio person picked it up and used my, I, I never used the word doctor. I have a PhD, but he said doctor. And then all of a sudden I got attacked for suggesting that I was an MD, which I never did. So my point was we created a, cli- a climate when you could not discuss this rationally. And that begs the question, why was that? Why did we cl- create that climate? 
and we and, and why is it different than Russia? Why can we so easily condemn Russia's invasion and the death and destruction when it pales in comparison to what the Chinese have unleashed? And if anybody says, well, you're paranoid, Victor, just remember one thing. For about 10 to 12 days, if you were in Wuhan, you could not, you could not, you could not leave Wuhan and go to another Chinese city. That was against the rules. But you could fly into LAX, you could fly into SFO, you could fly into Milan, you could fly into London, you could fly in to JFK. Now, why was that? Why didn't they say if it's too dangerous to leave Wuhan for Shanghai, Shanghai or Beijing, we're not going to send you around the world? So they, they were culpable. And why did the uh, World Health Organization lie? And why did Bill Gates say they were doing a good job? And why did Anthony Fauci say we shouldn't be criticizing them? And the answer to that is clear, that we have so much investment in China, and they are so heavily invested in joint projects and funding medical research and academic journals, and they're present on university campuses. They're ubiquitous. And so that's the, the, the reason, and it's, it's really scary. I think it's, it's quite frightening because uh, if you speak up, you're, they're going to try to destroy you. And, and then to see Dr. I'll, I'll just finish with this, Jack, because this is almost incomprehensible if you think about it. So the face of COVID prevention, prevention prophylaxis, treatment, Everything in the United States has been Anthony Fauci. Anthony Fauci. So he was the gospel. He was on Fox News for half a year. He was the apolitical, nonpartisan, senior man who was so well, we thought, uh, and that's not true, but that was the impression that he fostered during the AIDS epidemic. Okay. But if you just, I, I don't think you, anybody that's listening, and I can't comprehend it because it's so startling. It's, it's beyond the ability of the human mind to grasp, but just let me try. It suggests that for nearly, we're going to come up on two years, or actually we're already over two years. And for that period, the person who has been advising us and disseminating information and all, covering the airwaves is a person who authorized a grant and help to a lab investigating and researching and developing a gain-of-function virus that was responsible for this catastrophe when it was illegal to do that research in the United States and knowingly so. Think about that. If that is true, and I'm not saying it is true, but if that hypothesis is valid, then essentially you have a person who is culpable in some part for the dissemination of this virus, who is in the same time telling people that it didn't come from a lab. Now he kind of backs off, but he's not, that doesn't wipe away what he's been doing. And he's been giving signals and exegesis and analysis that protects himself. And so when Brett Baer, who's a good journalist, mentioned that in this recent uh, Fox News interview, and he said he talked about the virologist that wrote him and the redacted Jack, the redacted emails of Francis Collins. Why they would be redacted, I don't know, 
But this is what Fauci essentially said. Brett, I know you better than that. I know you. Now, come on. And so he, he was an ad hominem and he wasn't addressing the problem. And all he had to do was say something like the following. I think that we must know all we can about viruses. And that type of research was wrongly outlawed in this country. I have other affiliates that we fund that are active outside the confines of the United States. I had a grant that I knew may have been used to promote research, which I think was vital for the survival of the human race in general, the United States in particular, and I allowed that grant to be used for uh, research in China. And I don't know what happened there. I don't know whether this was a natural outbreak or it came from the Wuhan lab, but I'm very disturbed that ground zero of this epidemic just happens to be very close to a level four uh, PLA controlled uh, virology lab. And I want to investigate that for all. He didn't do that. He never did that. And so all he did was he doubled down, wear one mask, Oh, he said, wear no mask. We're not going to walk around with mask. Wear one mask. Might as well wear two. Oh, herd immunity, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90. Oh, vaccinations are the way out of this. We, You people who are not getting backs, you're endangering everybody. And everything he said was without any doubt. It was, it was, uh, it came on from Mount Olympus as if he was, you right. know, Zeus. Right. And uh, the result is he's totally discredited. He sees himself like in a stained glass window, St. Anthony. You know, he is he is why why he took the rhetoric with Brett Baer. He's above and beyond reproach. How dare you? Crazy. We're almost out of time. We've got one little other thing we've got to uh, get to, and we'll get to that right after these important messages. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irving Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep. The application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We're recording on Sunday the 24th. I want to make a little plug. You know, Victor had a, had a podcast once upon a time on Ricochet. It was called The Classicist. Do you remember who your, your host was, Victor? Troy Senek, he's he was a wonderful host. He's and, a, uh, yeah, he's he terrific. had um, very learned, very exact, analytical. He's a, he's a wonderful host, and he's a wonderful wonderful writer. Yeah, he's a great writer. He's a great guy. He actually lived in Milford, where I am, coincidentally. So at one point, your two 
podcasts, you have different podcasts, your hosts for sharing an office. Uh, Troy shared my office. He was writing a book and it's out next month. It's called A Man of Iron, The Turbulent Life and Improbable Presidency of Grover Cleveland. I got a review copy. I'm in the midst of reading it. It's a terrific book. So I just wanted to give a little plug to- Yeah, uh, it's very timely, Jack, because I mean, up till now, Grover Cleveland, I think, was the only two-term president that skipped a term. I mean, correct. he was- and so we're looking at Donald Trump, who has directly referenced Cleveland, and said, "Well, why can't I run again?" Cleveland did. Yeah. And so yeah. we'll, and I think Troy's book will be very relevant, whatever your feelings are on Donald Trump. That oh, we yeah, have, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, that comes out in the mid mid September. You, you go find it on Amazon. Victor, I'm throwing a, a curveball at you. I didn't tell you ahead of time I was going to ask, but just let's say two minutes. AOC arrested. <laughs> arrested, no handcuffs. What the freak? What kind of crackpot political theater? And brazen, you know, she's faking the handcuffs. <laughs> she's yes. still walking in hand, one hand behind the back. She's waving with the other one. Magical. Maybe the handcuffs had long, you know, changes. She's always, the, she always the upper middle class privileged um, victim. She's always seeking a greater degree of victimhood. Even though she's been quite callous and rude and attacking other people, she has, and she doesn't really mind what she says about other people. She cannot handle any criticism. So this was a perfect occasion for her to go out and feel like she's in Selma, Alabama, circa 1963 or something. And so nobody arrested. I mean, no one handcuffed her. Those arrests for civil disobedience are just simply follow me over here. Stand there. We're going to fill out this form. Give me 50 bucks or something. And you can bail. I don't even know if they charge. And you can go. And what did she have to do? She and her friends had to put their hands as if we wouldn't see the handcuffs. And we could say that, oh, my gosh, they handcuffed AOC. It's terrible. This police brutality. And then we learned that in the middle of her perp walk, I guess that's what she thought she was doing. She fist pumped. So I guess her invisible handcuffs fell off. She raised her hand, fist pumped, and then they fell back on and they were behind her. And she, of course, said she was doing this because she this is the safest way to, to react when police are around you. It sends a signal that, uh, that you're not going to prompt an inordinate response. But if you're not going to, uh, you're not going to incite a police brutal action, then the least thing you would think of, I think, was to take out your right hand and fist pump to a crowd because that might be alarming to a police person. So the whole thing was a myth. One thing about AOC is when she does something, she's a pathological dissembler. She never tells the truth about what she's actually doing. She always dissembles. When she gets caught with some anti-Semitic thing or some crazy thing, she always blames somebody or says, you want to date me. Or She never addresses the charge or the accusation and refutes it. You know, I heard that when those uh, hand- imaginary handcuffs fell off, that um, <laughs> Corn Pop was there and he picked them up and handed them to the police. So Yeah, and he's, uh, <laughs> when Joe gives a... Uh, a speech, he always turns, and remember, he turns to his uh, right, and he shakes this imaginary hand, right. and then somebody whispers, no, no, the other, it's, nobody's there, and then he shakes this, the air, and then he goes away, so maybe 
they know something that they see something out there in reality that we don't. Yeah. By the way, uh, also on you know the 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 fantasy game here, he he now Biden said the other day at this speech about climate <laughs> change that that he had where he grew up in Delaware was the most essentially cancer prone place in America, and he said he had cancer. Now he may have had cancer, like a lot of people have cancer, but they have a little, you know, skin cancer that's t- taken off. But the implication is, yeah, I, I, I don't have the text in front of me. Because- no, I, I think you're right. I, I was yeah. when I heard that, I looked at the the text very carefully to see what the tense was, and it was it was in the past tense. I had cancer. So does he say I have cancer? Or did he beat cancer in the past? And that, because I, I'm under the impression that occasionally, like many people with fair skin who were that age, he has skin cancers removed. Right. So I don't think he said, I have cancer. I had But, but cancer. Even, even that would be bogus because his implication was it's because of the, you know, the chemical industries that are operating here in Delaware that that got people you know, cancer, right? They, they got cancer because of that. And not, I'm, I'm not making like anyone who's had skin cancer and people die from, from melanoma. Uh, he really, to me, he was, he was, he was saying he got the kind of cancer when you hear someone's, Oh my gosh, I got the big C. That well, you know, maybe he's confused. Maybe he has it and he's not supposed to talk about it, but I doubt yeah. he's maybe are, there's two ways of looking at Jack. It's either, he let out something that he should not have, and that might explain some of his morbidity, which I think is that exegesis is not likely, or more or less he's back to driving semi-trucks right, and competing exactly. with Roger Staubach at the United Right, right. Yeah. What a and nobody God, he cleaned his plate though. So I don't yes. want him, I don't want to deprecate him because yeah. he is at an age where he's frail. Uh, I kind of worried about him when he had two vaccinations and two boosters because there is a minority view in the medical community that the, the more boosters that you have, you can um, you can alter the immune system so that it might not be as reactive to infections as it otherwise would be in, in this particular manifestations of different viruses. So I don't know, but I'm, I was kind of worried about him when he was taking he had four vaccinations, and then he took Paxlovid, and I don't know what else. Happened. He's not like Donald Trump, pretty much that a bear of a guy, and then he just said, "Ah, you know, I had Pepsi, and I had Monoclonal, I had the antivirals, and I had that, and I feel strong." And then he went out. I don't know, six seventy-two hours after he got hey. out and dressed people. And I mean, I when I saw that, I thought, man, I was thinking about the other day. I thought. Well, I, I, I'm not overweight like Donald Trump. I ride a bicycle. I exercise. So I had COVID on a Sunday and I'm going to do what he did. I'm just going to jump on a plane. I thought, oh my God, I'm 10 years younger. And that guy is 10 times stronger and better health than I am. I think it's the cheese, the McDonald's cheeseburgers. I think that's probably the, could be the cure. I, I think so. It's confidence too. I think, I think a lot of people who feel no doubt. And that's very important for a leader that they don't have self-doubt or, you know, they're not second guessers or third guessers. They're just, no. I think, I don't, I don't think we know much about the immune system and the brain and the gut and all the connections, but 
Um, right. It's uh, well. If you're talking about my gut, there's there's a lot, a lot to learn. All right, we're out of time. So, at this part of the program, we do not that out of time. We got a minute or two left. Uh, we uh, thank our listeners: Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you listen, uh, iTunes, Geriatric, uh, Apple Podcasts. On that, you can leave a rating of one to five stars. Victor deserves 10, 20. <laughs> Five is the max if you but go and go and rate the program and leave comments if you wish we read them we read the comments that on uh, apple podcasts also on victor's website people leave comments we, we read them. um and here's one and it's titled connected to reality victor is a surprising character he's a professor at first look but then you listen to him to find how incredibly connected to reality he is. That's what makes you need to keep listening, hearing stories of his father, grandfather, mother, and assortment of figures in his life and the memory of them, always reminding him to be thoughtful of what is going on in the world. I watch and listen to many lectures and podcasts given by professors and academics, and nearly all of them have this incessant need to talk about highfalutin, pie-in-the-sky theories of how human nature should work. You won't get that here. What you'll get is a man that has an in-depth look at how humans uh, live now, how they've lived in the past, and how the past influences us today. Jack is pretty awesome, too. P.S. From a formal naval nuclear operator, please, dear God, stop saying nuclear. This is from SteelNet. I apologize <laughs> for, for my Norm Crosby uh, impersonations and mangla manglification of the English language. I'm trying I to find try. what I can, what my excuse is. I, I had a, try this one. I could say I had a catastrophic bike accident in 2014 that knocked out my four teeth, split mm. my lip completely severed so that my left half of my lip was not connected to my right half, lower mm. and upper splattered like a tomato and I had to stitch them together, and I have a, a dead space a in there and scar picture. tissue. And I have a lisp now, too. I never did. But the problem with that ex that explanation is that I mispronounced words before that, and I was never careful in my diction. That's, that's I'm a... trying to be very careful because I feel, you know, uh, kind of bad when I said something about, I'll just end the, the program today, Jack. I said okay. something about Tesla. I didn't mean it. Oh, I heard something about you yes. and Tesla. <laughs> I didn't mean it in a deprecatory way. I admire people. And to prove I, my fides, I went out and ordered one. I, I, I heard. did. Yeah. It's, it's not going to come until April, but I did. So I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'm going to apologize to you, Tesla owners, because they're great cars. And, and when you pay six fifty a gallon, as I did in Palo Alto the other day, yeah. you, want, you want some relief. I don't know what the payback as far as the cost of the automobile versus the gas save in terms of years is i have a rough idea but that's one apology another thing is i said i was bordering on the edge of quackery but i didn't mean doctor's advice to me was quackery i meant that i was a quack oh. uh, even though i'm not a doctor because i had been i meant just the opposite that i had been um you know 
reading scientific yeah. and then I would say, oh, take quercetin and take these are all more or less without side effects. If you don't take them in the maximum doses, I never take them in the maximum doses. So I was taking 10 or 12 of them. And then it was only through talking to doctors like Dr. Pappas and Dr. Nevitt and others who gave me um, medical advice. And they didn't, they didn't, you know, I'm not, they didn't prescribe things, but they gave me very serious and very valuable and they're very learned people. And I really, really appreciate it. I don't want to mention their names to embarrass them, but just to, to remind people that there are doctors out there in whatever their particular field of specialization, they take an interest in their patients and they try to do all they can within the limits of, of professional medicine to suggest things. And or what the government you. will let them do uh, yeah. when, they, when and, they ban, and they, really, they ban really applicable good. medications. And right. I know that when we we show anger at Dr. Fauci, there's that came up just to finish very quickly when the the Rand Paul hearings when he asked that was it Dr. J or Jen or something when he asked him how many patients have you seen, and he had seen none, and yet he was lecturing on uh, first line therapies for at the ER room. So right. my point is this, is that, yes, we need researchers and they're going to ultimately get us out of this, I suppose. But right now and in the future, we have some brilliant clinical doctors and they treat people and they notice things. They, they notice that this the person with a normal uh, pulse or normal blood pressure is not normal or pulmonologist. They, they understand what's going on with this a virus and boy, they're they're just invaluable and they they don't feel they have the answers, but they give you parameters. And what I'm saying is, if you talk to the, the Fauci establishment, they'll say, go to a long COVID center, and those are good. I have right. no doubt they're good. But you're you're there's also other people who will say, I this is a drug or this is a vitamin. I'm not suggesting you take it, but there is some scientific material that I can give you that shows you whether it's uh, non-prescription or that either you or your physician should investigate or you should not do this. And they're doing a, they're doing a, a, a wonderful job. And right. there's starting to be some uh, incidents, incidents of people with long COVID that within a year, they start to feel better. And part right. of it is some of these therapeutics. So well, I, Victor, I really, we never would have we never would have thought there'd be a political line when it comes to medication, I didn't think but, so. but but that's what we've endured. My I friend, you have you you suffer from uh, it's not a sin, but your 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 scrupulosity. You there's nothing you said that denigrated doctors, but but I no, think, I, I I really admire uh, the yeah. two that I've I've talked to more than two. I've had doctors call me and say, you know. You should check out this uh, scientific study. Uh, I'm not telling you to take this uh, supplement or this uh, therapy or something, but you want to be aware of it and follow it in the scientific literature and see if it develops into a bl double blind study. And then you discuss this with your, your practitioner and see if this is something that could help you. And so the point I'm making is they're constantly trying to help people because they understand that when you get up in the morning, and you haven't slept, and you ache all over like you got the flu, and you got neuropathy, and you can't taste or smell, and you're dizzy, and it, and you know it's going to be the next day, and the next day, and the next day for a while. You've got to be very careful about your 
psyche and they understand that. So they, they try to give you optimistic uh, advice. And I really appreciate that. And I think everybody out there listening who's had COVID or is suffering from the aftermath or long COVID appreciates that too. What, the, what these doctors are sort of like the counterpart of, you know, majors and colonels that were right. out there in Afghanistan warning about, and they're not the generals. Um, those are the Fauci's and the Collins, you know, and the Burks. Right. right. Well, Victor, this is about when the Gary Owen will start playing as, okay. we, as we say goodbye. And thanks to everyone for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you.